Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyep. That's Creole for something extra. Springtime is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the arrival of warmer weather and sunnier days than with a glass of wine and some tasty treats? Here to talk to us about the latest culinary trends are Under the Radar's food and wine gurus. Jonathan Alsop, founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Callie. And Amy Traverso, senior food editor at Yankee Magazine. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Callie. Well, let's just dive right in because I'm feeling springy, even if, uh, you know, it takes us a while to get there. Uh, And Jonathan, there's a sweet craze going on with wine. It's been going on for a while because Americans like sweets. But you're saying it's kind of off and on now a little bit? Well, so... so, um, One thing I find really interesting is that people are always asking me to predict future wine trends. Yes, I am. When I really have have a hard time seeing what's going on around me in the present, but I find find it much much easier to to predict the future. Okay. Um, And so what I'm I'm seeing is, and we're hearing this in wine class, I call this the rise and fall and rise of sweet wine in America. Mm -hmm. Americans have this weird sort of inverse love affair with sweet wine or sweet things. We love everything sweet, but when it comes to sweet wine, all of a sudden we start saying, well, wait a minute. It's sweet wine. It tastes so good. I'll be exposed as a fraud. I'll be exposed. If if I drink wine that (laughs) tastes good, isn't that a sign that it's bad wine? Um, And this is something that I'm not advocating this view, but this is something we hear people Mm -hmm. say. And so we're seeing, I think, a comeback in sweet wines. And so I'm predicting for 2017 is going to be the spring and summer of sweet wine. Riesling, Moscato, Gewürztraminer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of blended. You know, we've, we've seen in the last couple of years the rise of blended California red wines. Now, of course, we're seeing blended California white wines that are the same sort of personality. Well, so. I'm going to say that pop culture is driving a lot of this. Mm-hmm. You can't turn on a Real Housewives program without seeing somebody drinking Moscato. Oh, yeah. mm, so yeah. let me just say that yeah. that's all uh, That's all in. And Not us that magazine. I watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you don't, Amy. But I'm just saying that, that that's a driver of it. And I think yes. that may have really introduced some yes. people actually to wine itself. Just well, let's try that and see what it tastes well, like. And, you know? and this <laughs> is the kind of wine that an engaged newcomer loves, mm-hmm. right? This is the, we, we call Moscato, we call these sweet wines um, gateway wines. You know, this is how we get people into wine <laughs> and then we work them up to stuff they can't afford. <laughs> well, with, and, and let me just point out that I think with Gewürztraminer, that's what's happening there is with the rise of interest in spicy foods, mm. it's a perfect complement. Mm. And so I think in, if you've gone out to eat and you've, that's been suggested to you, suddenly you found, wow, well, here's yeah. the wine that, you know, that matches with this very, offsets the yeah. spice and makes it really well, nice. Well, and know? the rise of unpronounceable grapes. <laughs> I mean, those, those, are always, those are always popular, especially if they're in a totally other, different alphabet. Okay. So every, everybody loves that. So, All right. So. Well, Amy, around here, 
French toast is a staple on every single diner menu and many other menus. But now you're telling me we're about to be hit with the West Coast trend about just toast in general everywhere. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I really kind of have mixed feelings about this because I was living on the West Coast when the toast thing first started to happen. And I remember thinking, really? I'm going to a restaurant yeah. and I'm going to order toast yeah. with stuff on it yeah. that I could so yeah. easily Four, do at home. Four seventy-five. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, they do put fun stuff on on the toast. Mm-hmm. I'll give them I would that. Yeah. I mean, we used to call it crostini or bruschetta, and now we just call it toast. But see, I think of crostini as a certain kind of bread it's a, yeah, it is with a, a certain kind of stuff serving. on it. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So we've got the toast thing, and, you know, there's a lot of great restaurants. I really, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic because it's a little bit twee, but it is really good stuff, you know. Okay. So places like Brassica, Juliet, Salty Girl. I was up in Stowe, Vermont this weekend and at Picnic Social. The, sorry, they have toasts. And Little Donkey is doing shrimp toast, which is actually an authentic, uh, you know, a fairly traditional. Like the Chinese. Yes, done. exactly. Oh, that's yeah. delicious. Yeah. It's so okay. good. Okay. Um, and Frenchie has an escargot toast that is I mean, the whole point of escargot, right, is to dunk the bread in the garlic butter. Well, this just does it for you. So that's pretty can't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, maybe I'm softening on toast. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really good thing. Now, listen, Jonathan, many people don't know that you do wine, but you also do some cocktails. Yes. And along this sweet thing, we don't want to pass by because you're talking about a sort of reinvention of an old-fashioned classic. Yes. Uh, We've maybe people have heard of Manhattan. Yes. And now this is the... Port of Manhattan. Yes. So, so, um, so a Manhattan is typically bourbon and vermouth, mm-hmm. and vermouth is actually a wine. It's a spicy, aromatic, slightly fortified wine. So, this is a Manhattan that I call the Port of Manhattan, and it's a Manhattan made with port. It smells very good um, instead of vermouth. Instead yes. of vermouth. And, and port is delicious. And though. this is port is quite sweet. You know, yes. port's a late harvest red dessert wine. So this is for, this is for people who are going to like a sweet Manhattan. And but again, like a regular Manhattan, this thing is strong. <laughs> let me just say, you and need so, to be at home with this. And so, th- and so, and so, this I made what they call in the bar business the perfect port of Manhattan, Ooh. which means is a Manhattan made with rye. Okay. So so not you know you know the the bourbon is a little bit richer the bourbon's a little bit stronger the rye's a little bit more aromatic and so this is us using wine in uh, the cocktail world which we normally don't think about we don't think about vermouth as a wine you know that's really a cocktail ingredient well that's I, true too I mm. think fortified wines yes. are really this world of flavor that even in cooking we've sort of mm-hmm. moved away from I mm. think we think of turkey tetrazzini and it feels really dated but you're starting with a product that already has the layers of flavor baked in mm-hmm. and so you're you know in making sauces or marinating or finishing, it's, it's such delicious. a slam dunk. It's delicious. Right. Right. We really need to start using them again. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, well, t- and, and you do that, you can cook the alcohol out because I'm telling you, I'll be on the ground with this. <laughs> so, though we will put the recipe on the web for people well, who would like to be on the ground at home the, the, <laughs> tasting needless, this. Needless to say, the dosage <laughs> is important. Yeah, no kidding. This is a teeny tiny little cup yeah. that Jonathan Alsop, a founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School, has brought into us. So, Amy Traverso, if we're going to talk about Manhattans, that's kind of a throwback. Caviar. Coming to the to the front again. Maybe it's because Donald Trump is president. I don't know. It's like this. uh, I think in general, Boston is exploring its identity as a seafood town. I think Mm. for a long time we were doing scrod, and then 
we kind of got into local and we thought, okay, well, we'll take our local fish and do a sort of California style seasonal take on it. And now I think chefs are like pushing. Where where are the edges of the seafood identity? Where hmm. can I expand? And so we're seeing lots of interesting seafood trends that are not rooted in traditional New England stuff, including caviar. It is everywhere. I mean, as a garnish, there is full caviar service at restaurants. I mean, yes, of course, at Les Balliers, you're going to have caviar or at Great Steakhouse, right? right. But at places like Waypoint, which is Michael Scalfo's place in Harvard Square, really terrific. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. He doesn't call it a seafood restaurant. He calls it coastal inspired. And it Mm. kind of gives a little more wiggle room (laughs) for creativity. A place, Bogey's Place, which is this little restaurant within a restaurant at J.M. Curley, they do caviar service. At Waypoint, actually, they do what they call a caviar bump, which is a donut hole that you sort of crack open. You fill it with creme fraiche and top it with caviar and chives. So it's instead of the blini, you get a little little donut. Oak and Rowan offers a flight of four different caviars for now, that's tasting. That's interesting. That's fun. If, because if you're not familiar with it and you want to say, let's just try this. And yeah, see, you know. yeah. Ostra, which is uh, Jamie Mamano's upscale seafood place, of course, has it. Salty Girl, which is... I love Salty uh, Yeah, Girl. that's yeah. a really fun place. So so you're seeing it in places you may not expect to. It's just everywhere. And I think it's a, a little bit of a, a luxury item that I think chefs have figured out how to bring it to us at different price points, whether it's a tiny amount as a garnish, but you get that little feeling of luxury, which is really nice. So that then speaks to why we're seeing a lot of poke around here as well. Yeah, see, it's this it's this <laughs> yeah. kind of, okay, we like seafood, but yeah. we're a little bored of scrod. So, yeah. so poke is not a n- brand new thing, but it has reached critical mass, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, it is on many, many menus. I've seen it at Uni. I've seen it at Myers and Chang. Hajoko at Banyan, Philip Tang is doing a poke with salmon, which is really cool. That's interesting. And then there's like the sort of the more affordable poke joints, fast casual. One of them is a new place in Somerville called Manoa. I always want to say Moana, yeah. <laughs> but it's Manoa. because we've all been trained by Disney. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and that has six varieties of, of poke on the menu any given day. And just to back up, poke is a raw fish salad popularized and invented in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Usually it's sort of a soy cured tuna um, with aromatics. And there's, we've kind of gone from tuna tartare to tuna crudo to tuna, you know, poke. And, um, and then there's also a place called Poke Works, which offers raw fish burritos. They're kind of sushi burritos. That's in Davis Square. And there's a new place opening in Cambridge called Poke City. So this is really a thing. Um, My only hesitation about it as a trend is just that the fish that we tend to like to eat raw, the fish we tend to be comfortable with, is not necessarily sustainable fish. There's only so much tuna out there. I hope to see these places experimenting with other types of fish. What can we do with stuff that is not overfished, that's abundant still? You know, because... There's just only so much of it. And, you know, sushi restaurants tend to be making a lot of spicy tuna roll, and tuna is, is a tricky one. That's true. And yeah. I have to say, I never had tasted it before I was lucky enough to get to go to Hawaii, and because I'm not necessarily a raw fish person, and the seasoning of it is really important for yes. you to, to decide if you're going to like it. So th- with these many varieties of possibilities of trying it, I think it might become even more popular. Well, and are they doing it like a poke salad, or are they doing it? Cause Some I've of them are. Okay, like a hand roll, yep. almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. Japanese, that's true. Like hand that that roll might too. be more. 
But you know what, Jonathan? Mm. Because poke is, you know, a hot new thing and happening from Hawaii on this way. I am happy, happy, happy that finally in Boston we have a real wine bar because that is something that one would say we should have had a long time ago. I go other places and there are plenty of wine bars. I mean, true wine bars. Yes. But in Boston, not so much. You know, you can get good wine, but it's not like focused on it. You know, we were thinking about places, in spite of the weather in the the here and now, we will be sitting outside (laughs) and enjoying life (laughs) sooner than later. Right. So we're trying to think of places and, and, you know, especially wine bars. And it seems like other cities of the world have dozens of little wine bars, you know, not just in Italy. You know, Shanghai's got, you know, wine bars, two or three in every block with wow. mulled wine and little bites to eat and that kind of thing. But Boston, you know, even there, though there are lots of bars with wine and lots of great wine restaurants, no one seems to have really made this wine bar thing work except on Newbury Street, a place called Piatini. Hmm. They've been there forever. They've never really changed their concept. You know, they, they've expanded bit by bit, and their, their food has changed over the years. I feel very ignorant because I've never been there and didn't know it existed it, as it, a wine bar. It, so it, it's on it's it Newbury Street, yeah. and it's one, of those, it's one of those little downstairs spots okay. where you sit right. outside mm-hmm. on the little step-down patio, right. and then you step down into the restaurant. It sounds delightful. Uh, Piatini. Right. Now there's Haley Henry, and mm-hmm. there's yes. Salty Girl identifies as a wine bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I think of them more as a... Food, then you have yeah, wine. yeah. So that's Whether, what I'm and like there was yeah. been there's been 26 on on Charles Street. Yes, uh, right. You know, but again, you know, it's so funny. I think I think in Boston, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's hard to sell wine first. I think yeah, right. you kind of I come think of it as the food with part the food and, and then, oh, yeah. and there's wine. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, so Troquet, which is a place yes. I've yet to go to and love, just just drool over the rest of the menu rather is moving, and Got and this is an important place. enough restaurant that we should mention that because now maybe other folks such as myself will finally get there, even though Boylston was very accessible. This is the best unknown restaurant in Boston. To say it's unknown is not really right. People People know it. it. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing that is super well-known among people in the wine business and super well-known amongst hardcore wine lovers. And when you talk about Mm -hmm. a place where the wine comes first, this is Troquet. Yes. This is a restaurant where people go in and they have food and they have a fantastic menu, but people sit down and say, okay, well, what are we going to drink? Uh, what are we going to drink first? What are we going to drink second? And then we'll, we'll like, lay out the whole wine. Like, a group of six people will lay out their whole wine night. And then at the end of dealing with this whole wine concept, they'll say, okay, food? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's just exactly the opposite of the sales process in most restaurants where, you know, you work through the food and then you have to come back and revisit the revisit the wine thing. Are they going bigger or smaller in their new location on uh, South Street? The, the the new location is bigger, but not spectacularly bigger. Chris Campbell uh, started out with a restaurant called Uva in Alston, mm-hmm. and then has been at Troquet on Boylston Street across from the Common for years now. And this is just a great move. And in some ways, it's kind of a it's kind of around the corner from where they were before. So, um, and again, just a great, great, if you have someone coming to town who is a real wine lover. That's where you want to go. Troquet is the one place that you absolutely 
want to hit for that wine experience. Well, so let me congratulations tell- to them. Yeah, really. Uh, I want to remind people I'm here with Jonathan Alsop. You just heard him, founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School, and Amy Traverso, senior food editor. You're pouring something there, uh, Jonathan. Yes, I am. Um, and I'm going to ask Amy a question while you're pouring that. We'll get back to you in a second. Amy, there's a lot of new restaurants coming out. It feels like Boston is just all new restaurants now. It's a- am, am I crazy. Kinda, no, you yeah. can't keep up. I mean, okay. I, I have friends who are restaurant critics. They're just spinning. I mean, which one do I do next? Oh, my God. I don't even have enough copy. I don't have enough inches to, to review every restaurant that's opening. It is happening fast and furious. And, of course, there's always talk that we're in the bubble, yeah. that there aren't enough line cooks to support all these yeah, restaurants. Yeah, aren't we? We are. Yeah. And yet they keep opening. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I have not there been able to do these, these people working yeah. in these restaurants? They must be importing people because, t- <laughs> no, it is really a problem here. Yeah, it is a yeah. problem. Well, yeah. and interestingly, so Matthew Gaudet, who I love, mm-hmm. he had a restaurant that everybody loved called Westbridge in mm. Cambridge. Yes. Was, yeah. Yes. He got national that. attention. Yeah. He found that due to the line cook shortage, he, he was having a harder harder time doing what he wanted to do in his kitchen to have a staff that could execute his vision got harder and harder. And he ended up kind of pulling up stakes. Uh, the restaurant was a hit, but he said, I, I, you know, I'm working too hard and I'm not doing what I really want. He went back up to Manchester by the sea, now best known, obviously, (laughs) but opened a a great casual kind of comfort, Mm. but, you know, done really well called Super Fine. Mm. They do grilled pizzas and ribs and just everything's like the best version of that. Mm. But he is coming back to Cambridge, which I'm really happy about. He's and I think he probably found a business model that really works, which is he's partnering with a new boutique hotel called the Free Point Hotel, which is opening mm. on the Ilwife Brook Parkway. Oh, right. Um, and it's going to be the house restaurant. It's going to be called Free Point Kitchen and Cocktails. And I think having that yeah, infrastructure of yeah, a hotel yeah. will, will let him achieve his vision. The food sounds great. I mean, it's. I, I like now that it gets harder and harder to categorize food. You know, it's... Because we're borrowing from so many yeah, traditions, so which many is traditions. great. Yeah. There's the California, <laughs> the yeah. French, the Italian, yeah. the local, the right. seasonal. But his food is just... It's got the whole orchestra. It's got the high notes, the low notes, everything in between. Your mouth never gets bored. There are different textures. He's just got that great kind of rainbow approach with food, but it's not all over the place. It's not crazy, you know, just throw everything. It's There's a real um, discipline to it. Yeah. Mm. So I can't wait to taste his stuff. Um, Tara in Italy, which is opening uh, any I still day now. Been to Italy. I'm going to get Italy there. Italy is amazing. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get but there. But if you want to <laughs> eat at a restaurant, if you yeah. want to sit down and have yeah. a meal, you have to wait in line. And it can sometimes be quite a wait because it's always busy. Okay. So Tara is going to be a restaurant where you can actually make a reservation. That was the last I heard. Now, they <laughs> okay, may we'll get see. so flooded that they'll <laughs> okay. change their mind. I'm but, putting you on pause because I want to uh, yeah. squeeze this wine yes. in with Jonathan before we run out of time. Jonathan, yes. as we tell me what it is, and then it's red. And my question to you is rose, so 2016. We're uh, done with rose. Well, right? you know, rose, <laughs> it's, it's been the summer of rose now, like six years in I a know, row. So I know. So I think it'll probably be happening again. <laughs> yeah. So this is um, Maggio Family Vineyards from Lodi, California. Lodi is essentially due east from San Francisco. It's a, one of those hot, it's hot, out there. hot yeah. inland valleys. This is a grape called Petite Syrah. I love it. Ooh, it's this not, is so good. It, oh my God, this is a summer wine. It's not this Syrah. It's not Syrah. It's, it's not. Petite. It's not Petite. It's like a monster, monster red. So it's a hot climate red from a hot climate part of California. Mm. And Amy, you said it. You can taste. 
you can so you can ta- you can taste good. summer. You can taste yeah. the heat mm. in this wine. So grilled, a gr- um, nice grilled lamb or oh, chicken. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So, so this so this kind of a shoulder season wine. You could also have this with you know some sort of wintry you know like roasted yeah. goat on a, on a spit or yes. you know something like that. <laughs> but it's also really reminding us of summer and, and reminding us of where this wine mm-hmm. came from. Okay. Now, so answer the question: Is rosé over? Are we rosé and no, the craze no, is not think, over? You know what? We yeah. have really, so in terms of wine per capita consumption of yeah. wine in the USA, we have not even really approached our minimum rational level. I'm not advocating that we have to become like Luxembourg or anything. Yeah. Like that's way <laughs> yeah. too much per capita. But we're not even a third of the way to where France is. We're not even a quarter of the way to where Italy is. So, so we, we got have room. a lot of headroom okay. in a lot of different categories. And, you know, more and more people are not only fallen in love with rosé, but their mind is open to it. You know, I love it. I mean, I'm just they've asking. Come full, yeah. They've come full yeah. circle. I mean, let's be honest. People yeah. have feelings about pink wine. They do. You know, sometimes it's it. maybe like it's not. Because they think it's really, sweet, everything. It's and, sweet. It's, and it's dry and interesting. They think so. it's like not real yeah. wine. Right. It's like, so it's like, like rosé, if you tried a little harder, you could be red wine. <laughs> or, you know, you're an underachiever. You know, some people have a lot of, have a lot of attitudes about rosé. But after a while, you, know, you, you reach a point where you abandon those and you say, well, I don't care what color it is. Let's, let's, let's taste it. If it's good wine, we're going to go for it. All right, Amy Traverso, I have, please tell me, cauliflower, is it the new kale? Yes. Yes, it is. Cauliflower is hot right now. It is everywhere. And, you know, you've got the gorgeous colors, the orange, the purple, and the romesco, which is that green, looks like fractals. Yes. Yeah, cauliflower is really, really big. And, I mean, between the gluten-free people who are eating cauliflower rice. Yes. Which I love it, by the you way. You do. Good for you. I have yet to have it's a good, good version of you it. You can right. mash it, too. I, okay. Yeah, no, I do make mashed cauliflower. It's versatile. Kids like it. Roast, you roast. I mean, the it's simplest delicious. thing, olive yeah. oil, 400 degrees, salt and pepper. Get it nice and brown and crispy. It tastes like French fries. It's All right. so good. So there you have it, people. I've brought you up to date and headed into spring with the people who know food and wine best. I thank you both for joining me. Thank Thanks. you, Callie. <laughs> Amy Traverso is a senior food editor at Yankee Magazine and author of the Apple Lover's Cookbook. You can see Amy on WGBH's new show, Weekends with Yankee, which starts next month. Jonathan Alsop is the founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of The Wine Lover's Devotional, 365 Days of Knowledge, Advice, and Lore for the Ardent Aficionado. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find links to the stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app or take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Aswahe is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. <laughs>